Welcome to Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets Antenna Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On tonight's show, we have a jam-packed ITA Men's National Indoor Preview Edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens across the Division I college tennis world. Now, obviously, our schedule's gotten a little bit funky this week. We are going to try our best moving the forward through the rest of this 2024 season to provide constant deciding point episodes to all of you listeners. Tuesday night, hopefully, we'll be recording live for the women. Wednesday night, hopefully, we'll be recording live on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel for the men. The reason we haven't been able to do that so far this season is because this season has gotten off to the races. And like that, in the snap of a finger, we now find ourselves at one of the most exciting weekends we have on the college tennis calendar. It's men's national indoor time. 16 of the best teams in the nation all descending upon New York this year to compete for that national indoor championship title, of course, Given the fact that we have seen so much chaos, so much parity throughout the first of six weeks of this season, I think it's safe to say we are in for some drama over the course of the next four days. And the best part for us here at Cracked Rackets is that we're going to provide all of you college tennis fans a front row seat to all of that action starting Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern time. We will have coverage from first ball to last of every main draw match at these men's national indoor championships. It will be myself on Friday steering the ship here at the Columbia site. Of course, it will be the great Mike Cation steering the ship over for the USTA Flushing Meadows site. Then he and I are going to come together for Saturday's quarterfinals, Sunday semifinals, and of course, Monday's championship match as well. Again, we have so much fantastic tennis planned for all of you fans to enjoy over the course of the next four days. Even if you are listening to this show and you aren't a college tennis fan already, I promise you this is the weekend. Dip your toes into the water. Eventually, you're going to want to take a full plunge. The single most exciting, single most energetic level of the game we have. And oh, by the way, the quality has never been better either. So in that spirit, What we want to do on today's podcast for all of you listeners is set the scene for our opening round of men's national indoors play. We want to break down all eight of our round of 16 matches. Of course, for what it's worth, we'll be back each and every night to recap each day's play, to preview the next day's play as well. And joining me both tonight and on all of those podcasts moving forward is the only guest I could ask to perform some sort of task like this with me. Of course, that's because you all know him best as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks Formula Predictions, never far from the listed UTR. He is a lean mean Michigan Wolverine. He's the professor. It's Chris Halioris joining me for the first of five consecutive Great Shot podcasts together. Chris, it is our favorite stretch of the season. Forget NCAAs. There's too long of a delay between rounds for us to feel the buzz, the energy, the late night slap happiness. I call it tennis drunk. We get tennis drunk over the course of this weekend, my friend. So, hey, great shot. Have you carved up? Are you sober now? Because we're going to get funky later. 
Yeah, I mean, I I can only be thankful that it's an East Coast tournament, <laughs> and and the last matches end on East Coast yeah. time because boy, those like endings out in Seattle when it's two o'clock in the morning here are brutal. So yeah, at least at least we'll be on my time. Yeah, it, it, and in the end, Chris Helios, it's your world, and we're all—it's all, it's just all about it. me. A hundred percent—that's all we could ask for. And yeah, like again, we are on East Coast time. All these matches again, same time sessions, uh, Friday and Saturday, nine p.m., noon, three thirty, six thirty. That's the time all these matches are going to unfold, or at least main draw matches. Again, two streams Friday. Then Mike and I will come together for quarterfinals Saturday. Obviously, one enhanced stream Sunday, enhanced stream Monday as well so make sure if you haven't already go subscribe to our crack rackets youtube channel so you don't miss out on any of the action that said obviously we know we owe it to all of you college tennis fans to help prepare you for this busy weekend that is why we want to break down all eight of our round of 16 matches we want to talk you through the relative strengths of each portions of the draw how did we do in terms of parity across the draw as well that's something we're going to discuss here in a moment but Chris before we do it is our job to keep listeners up to date on everything that happens in the college tennis world and obviously last weekend I was a bit distracted by the D1 women's action I was locked in on Oklahoma State capturing their first national indoor title all the various machinations of that event as well I mean we saw the number one UNC women not just lose a match, Chris. We saw them go one and two over the course of the weekend. I think if you're a college tennis fan, you can thus understand why I was a bit distracted. But before we talk national indoors, just real quickly here on off the top, a couple results I want to mention from the past week before we get started at the national indoors. Kentucky continue to pick up impressive victories after they stumbled during the kickoff weekend. We will not see them here in New York, but... Dare I say they've certainly kept their top 16 seed hopes live come NCAA tournament and maybe even their top eight hopes as well. Now, they drop a tough one to Duke this past weekend, but they do get a win over Harvard. You also had the Ohio State Buckeyes doing what they seemingly do in January, February of each and every season. Just knock out whoever has the gumption to come challenge them in Columbus. In this instance, it's a drop doubles point before ultimately definitive victory over South Carolina. Did they drop that doubles point, Chris? If memory serves me correctly, yes. they did. Yes. Yep. Before winning six straight set matches. Uh, by the way, South Carolina also faced Wake. Wake Forest, another big victory for the Deeks early in the year. You also had a Columbia victory over Tennessee here in New York. I mean, Chris, surface level, all of those results sound pretty intriguing to me. Now, we may get to see some of those matches replayed here over the next few days, so we're going to get back to previewing in a moment, but I just wanted to open the floor to you to start. Any dramatic thoughts that must be shared off of those results before we get into this weekend? No, I mean, the one thing you didn't mention, I think that'll be a prelude into this weekend will be we also saw USC get clobbered twice. Mm. Uh, And, uh, you know, unfortunately for those uh, that haven't kept up, you know, no Steph, Waitman's yet to play singles. The team's really shallow now. That's that's a rough one. So those were a couple big matches. You mentioned Harvard getting beat at Kentucky and boy, they escaped a I think it was a breaker, a 7-6 breaker in the third, or maybe it was 7-5 in the third, but they got out of a 4-3 match at Louisville after that one. So it'll be intriguing to watch them as well. 
but no, I mean, I think uh, outside of that, uh, they're, you know, the, the spotlight was on the women, not a ton of huge matches on the men's side last weekend. That's a really good call by you, Chris Hallioris, to bring that up because you are absolutely right on the USC front too. Yeah, I, look, you lose Steph, who two years ago, they couldn't win with, you know, he was what, like 25-1, and one, something crazy throughout the course of the year last year. I know there was a little bit of regression, but Coach Macy pointed this out in my interview with him today, all those interviews, by the way, from Media Day, you can now go check out on the Cracked Interviews podcast. Macy's been the coach for five years. He said, to his recollection, every match he had coached at USC, Stefan Destanich was in the lineup for his team. And thus, again, to feel his absence over the course of the past two matches, losses to Oklahoma State, Baylor respectively, like... It shouldn't be a surprise that USC lost those matches, but you're absolutely right. The definitive nature by which they lost that Baylor match in particular, Chris. First of all, very good win for the Baylor Bears. Certainly, they need that sort of win given they won't be here in New York this weekend. But, and I say this with love. I say this with respect. I say this knowing they don't have their number one All-American singles player. Yeah, USC's got to be on 0-3 watch after what we saw from them last weekend. And, you know, this moves us, I guess, into the draw and the parity. I see they're not the only team on 0-3 watch. If things go badly, if a player gets injured here or doubles isn't clicking there, again, just about every team, maybe there are two or three you would move to the side and say, no way do they go 0-3. But you wouldn't have to perform contortions Chris Hallioris to make an argument if you wanted to in a glass half empty sense for each te- uh, for multiple teams to go 0-3 and I think that means actually in the best sense this draws pretty even I don't know how many blockbuster round one matches we have how many of these are 50-50 affairs in the round of 16 but in terms of competitive balance of teams with pedigree coming in and dispersing them accordingly across the draw I think certainly for an Ohio State team that is just about the only team that's yet to lose a shoddy match this season or have a day where they didn't show up they have earned that benefit of the doubt given their resume to be the number one overall season I also think on the TCU side of things whether it's the Tennessee result whether it's you know the Michigan result this past week or perhaps even more importantly Chris Hallioris who's the two-time defending champ of this national indoor event it's escaping my mind right now it's been a long day oh yeah it's TCU (laughs) uh your two-time defending national indoor champion so the idea of them being the number two overall seed I got no problem with that either across the board Chris like I'm just going to read both sides of the draw quickly for listeners who don't have it in front of them on the left side of the draw again you've got your top seed Ohio State they take on Alabama winner of that to face the winner of eighth and ninth seeded Columbia and Harvard below that fifth seeded Tennessee taking on 12th seeded USC you've got fourth seeded UVA taking on 13th seeded Duke on the right side of the draw, top half, you've got third seeded Texas taking on 14th seeded Arizona, sixth seeded Wake taking on 11th seeded Michigan, and then that final quarter, of course, TCU taking on Arizona State, South Carolina taking on Texas A&M. Chris, I'm sure a question that should be asked is, should the men adopt similar rules to the women where we avoid these sort of conference head-to-head matchups in round number one? Certainly if they happen later, let the chips lie where they will. But, you know, again, it feels like some easy switches, right? If I told you we switched 
I don't know, Columbia and South Carolina. Like, I don't think I'd riot or form that big of a protest if you saw those seeds switch. Certainly, if you want to switch a Duke or an A&M, like, you want to just make that switch straight up so that, again, those conference foes are avoided as well. I got no problems with that. Michigan-Harvard switch, I mean, you can't do that because Harvard beat Michigan. But you get the point I'm saying more broadly. I think there's a lot of parity in this draw. Do you know? Again, you say you'd rather be on the Ohio State side, probably, given some of the injury concerns with Virginia and the fact that Texas, TCU are who they are. But Ohio State should have the slightly easier draw. They're the number one overall seed. Like I actually thought this was really balanced, Chris. I'm curious what your reaction was. Yeah, I don't. I mean, first, I don't have a problem with the conference matchups. Uh, I, you know, be, you're going to get complaints either way. People aren't going to like the conference matchups. And then if they go and avoid the conference matchups, then the people that get screwed by getting a tougher first round match because they had to swap somebody, they get upset. Just rank them and play it. I, I'm fine with the way the way it comes out. Um, in In looking at the draw, though, I will say, I mean, the team that got screwed to me is Columbia. There's no chance they should be that low. They just beat Tennessee and showed what they could play indoors, them at home in their place. And with the win uh, and, and the wins they've got, they've got some solid wins. They were they were too low. I I honestly thought that there was sort of a toss up for for five, six, seven between Tennessee Wake and Columbia and uh, Tennessee Wake ended up in those five, six, but Columbia didn't even grab seven. They kept South Carolina there, which I do is, is beyond me. We see USC get penalized who hadn't even lost a match going into the weekend. Um, and everybody knows, Oh, no Steph. And who knows if Waitman's going to be healthy, but Steph isn't even playing this weekend. So they already know that, but guess what? We also know Connor Thompson's not playing for South Carolina and they they still hold a seven seed and had losses coming into the weekend. Granted, the one huge win over Virginia, but I, I didn't quite get the don't penalize South Carolina, but penalize USC. I honestly I was in favor of penalizing both of them because they have they've had some bad losses and they're both missing their top guy. Knock them down. South Carolina maintaining a seven. Columbia definitely should have been up in there, and that that could have avoided two of those as to your point conference matchups. But outside of that, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, I. So I guess the problem is, and I I see your point more broadly, certainly, but like you can start playing that game with everyone. That's the issue, right? Like, sure, Columbia just beat Tennessee. Who has the better resume, though, to this point? Wouldn't you still argue Tennessee with wins over Wake, who beat Columbia, wins over Michigan in this field as well? Like, that's the problem with this field is you can literally do that for everyone. But that's why I said to me, the five, six, seven, and I had this debate with a coach. I was like, five, six, seven, I don't, they could put them in any order. I could make Tennessee the five. I could make Wake the five. I could make Columbia the five. I was okay. And I actually was in favor of going Wake five, Columbia six, Tennessee seven. But the, the, the thing that snuck in there that totally threw me off is they inserted South Carolina in the yeah. middle of them. And but I South Carolina beat Virginia at Virginia. Like, that I, is as impressive of a win. I know they didn't have Montez, but that's still as impressive of a win as we've seen this season, particularly yeah, and, that and they did it without Story or Thompson. Yeah, and they're they're living right now off of off that of that reputation. Yeah, yeah they're they're yeah. living off that one win because they've done nothing since. Well, I mean, it's 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 tough. I mean, look, stories. He's 
he's been slowly coming back. Thompson's not. Uh, and it's just, you know, it is what it is. It's unfortunate. We want to see a fully healthy team. But but yeah, that that is why, because they had that one big win. Um, but if you look at the form coming in no, they they definitely would not have should not have been up in front of Columbia. But, you know, you, you're going to play three matches either way. It's all going to work itself out. And again, like we make that argument for uh, five, six, seven. Has Texas really done anything this year to have them earn the number three seed? They're there purely on reputation, Chris Hallioris. Like, pure resumes, Tennessee's won more matches. Wake's won more matches. Hell, Columbia's won more matches than Texas has to this point. What's what's the Texas best win? A win over Oklahoma State in the kickoff weekend? Like Yeah, but who have I, they lost to? Virginia. That's at it. home. Yeah, but that's at it. home. Yeah, but that's Who's it. Virginia lost to? A lot of schools. Well, which is why they're below them, right? Well, <laughs> that's, I just like, my point more broadly is outside of Ohio State 1, TCU 2, I do not care what they did after that because I think those two teams have separated themselves. Is that fair? And then everything yeah. else, like, yeah, yeah there that- are things in the margins and groupings, of course, but roll the balls out after that. Let's play some ball. I think that it's totally fair. Although I think we all knew, even though we say that, we all knew exactly what the top four were going to be in order. I mean, yeah, there was yeah. there was no doubt that was going to be uh, those those top four. Other than you kind of question, will they actually make Virginia the four? Because we remember a couple of years ago, they really hit them coming into indoors for having the early season losses. But uh, but the, you know, it's a it is a pretty good straight rank. I mean, that's the way people were voting them. That that's. That's a fair, it's a fair seating to your point. And who cares? Five, you know, five down, just let them play. Yeah. And that is what we will now uh, obviously get to see over the next four days, regardless of what the draws are. Uh, certainly every team guaranteed three matches. All of these matches going to be critical as all of these teams try to build top 16 resumes, top eight resumes, and dare I say, establish their spots in what is a very unclear pecking order moving forward. And in that spirit, Chris Hallioris, let's break down all eight of our round of 16 matches. Certainly going to spend more time on the most intriguing of the matches, but we're going to try and go through these at a fairly steady pace. The reason being I'm like three days removed. What today's Thursday. So yeah, the championship was Monday. I'm still seeing ghosts. Chris Hallier's like every so often I open my eyes and I see that Komar overhead on match point. And I'm like, Oh no, did I miss something? Like did I fall asleep? And I'm like, no, 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 you're just, you're having your usual Alex national indoors attack. So again, got to get the brain right here. I'm going to try and get some sleep early. We're going to coast through all of these. Um, does it blend that, into a Jaden Weeks volley? Is oh, it all blends <laughs> into it, everything yeah. is blend, Chris Hallioris. It's again everything. I'm gonna be seeing teams. I'm gonna go up to like I'm trying to think who will be the best example of this. Who's a crossover? I'm gonna go up to like Sean Mamie and be like Ronnie. It's great to see you. And I'm gonna be like, no, I mean, I mean Sean. I'm, you know I love you, Sean. Uh, and so yeah, a hundred percent. Again, we're gonna go through these, and I know you have some things to do. The real thing is. We're going to stay consistent tonight so that when we get loopy this weekend, all of our listeners will understand why. And so with that said, Chris Hallioris, I'm not letting us spend more than four minutes on any match. That's such a – I just want you to know right now, I've never lied to you harder than I just lied to you. We are for sure going to spend more than four minutes on some of these matches, but – I will be concise. That's my promise to you, Chris Hallioris, as well as you, the listeners. Professor, let's rock and roll with the quarter. I think is the most intriguing quarter of 
day number one at this event. It's a quarter, unfortunately, I'm not going to have on my broadcast as it's happening over at the USTA National Center in Flushing. It's the Texas quarter of the draw. And look, I think we might have a fist fight right on day number one of this event. If I tell you, Chris Halioris, that there is some sort of physical brouhaha between these Arizona and Texas teams because Texas's chant, Chris Halioris, is Texas fight. Texas fight. Arizona doesn't say the Texas part. Their chance is just, no, we'll fight you. Like, <laughs> oh, you want to fight? Like, no, no, no. We're, like, let's drop the rackets. I'll see you outside in 10, 15. Like, you tell me, let's do this thing. This match is going to be gritty. Obviously, Texas, I just talked about their resume a little bit earlier. They're very much on paper team. And certainly, this Arizona core has seen Texas. Spiz, Walty, Harper, Braswell make multiple NCAA semifinals together. Hell, this Texas team were finalists at the National Indoors last year. Two unreal 4-3 wins over Ohio State, Michigan to get there, Chris. So yes, they're Texas. They're not a traditional indoor team, but we know their talent travels, period. On the other side of the script, Arizona is an now or never team. This is their group. It feels like this is their core. This is what they've been building to, to get to this national indoors with Smith, Strom, Hoyerall, Friend, Lagayev, the pieces they have. Are we going to see a fist fight? Are we going to see a 4-3 match? What are we going to see, Chris Halliors? What's your read on this one? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough read. It could be all of the above. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see how, you know, like say GA coming in fresh for, you know, this will be his first probably big indoor, you know, an indoor, lots of people, you know, a bunch of crowd and, and all kinds of hype around the event. So we'll see how he handles it. But yeah, I I expect all kinds of, of fireworks in this match. And to your point, like, I mean, Texas has come on, you know, they've had a couple decent matches here at the end, Oklahoma State, Stanford, Florida. So they've got some good, uh, some good matches under their belt now, but haven't, you know, really been pushed outside of the loss to Virginia. But I can say the same for Arizona. I mean, they had the win over Baylor. The other one was a loss to San Diego, but Outside of that, they haven't really they haven't played a team that's going to push them either. So it's an early test for both of these schools. And um, I'm in the two teams that, you know, for the most part, know each other. Well, I, I feel like every year preseason and or kickoff, they've been playing each other for the last several years. So they're very familiar with each other. Uh, and Arizona has gone and played a couple matches at Texas. So. Uh, these schools know each other. They they're going to get like you said. It's going to be chippy. It's going to get loud indoors. I almost wish that was at your site because it's going to be. Yeah, I mean that's a hornet's nest inside at Columbia. But yeah, I expect I expect a great match. This is by far of all the lower seeded teams. You know, from eleven down, I think this is the one I look at that's probably got the best chance of what's on paper a three fourteen supposed to be a lopsided match the best chance of being a really good match, uh, given the seeds. You mentioned it on the, uh, Arizona side of things, five and one overall, their one loss, a four, two loss to a San Diego team. Was it four, two or four, three? I'm four, three. Right. Yeah, I apologize. Four, three, four, three loss to a San Diego team. That is very, very good. That if we had the rankings together, if I was quick enough to send Chris, all of our rankings that I, by the way, I have everyone's rankings, Chris. I just haven't 
taken the time to look at them yet. <laughs> I'm going to do that tonight. I promise post-podcast, Westoff will have graphics out for everyone before our broadcast begins. It's interesting because 5-1, and one, a win over Baylor, a loss over San Diego. That sounds like a very light resume for Thursday, February 15th. I don't hate it for this Arizona squad. Now, you mentioned their history with Texas. They played Texas twice last year. 4-0, 4-2 losses, respectfully, uh, respectively, excuse me, and respectfully uh, for the Wildcats. I mean, again, that 5-1, and one, Chris, you could argue more tests than Texas has seen to date. 6-1 and one overall. Yes, they faced Virginia. Oh, I forgot they had Florida as well. Stanford, Stanford and Florida. Florida. And Oklahoma State. Yeah. You know what? Okay. They are a little bit more tested than I gave them credit for in speaking about the draw preview. But I would still argue, Chris Halliors, in looking at this Texas team, I have no clue how good they are right now. Like, I really don't think anyone in that lineup would say, oh, I'm playing my best tennis to start the year. Maybe PY. Maybe. But, like, I still don't have a read on GA. I still don't have a re. I don't think Elliott's back to prime versions of 2023. I'm losing just one match. Elliott's busy right now. Waldeep's been in and out. Harper not having his best start today. He continues to keep pushed, even if ultimately he hasn't been, you know, beaten badly. Braswell, Jonah in and out of the lineup. I lied. Saying the name out loud, Micah's playing the best tennis. Micah's been lights out to start this season. So him, PY, maybe, but we still haven't seen the full Texas click match. I mean, if Texas clicks in this one, they have the talent superior. Uh, they have the superior roster. Texas, if they click, have the superior roster probably on everyone. Go back and listen to our preseason podcast. That's why we talked about them with such reverence. We haven't seen it yet, Chris. And again, if you haven't played, if you're not playing your best, Arizona can get you because they are gritty and they will make you win the last point in a way that other teams might hand it to you. You're up three-one. There's a lead here. It's too lopsided. Congratulations, we tipped the cap. You were too good today. That's not Arizona. They'll force you to three if you're not careful. They're they're again. They're gonna come up and they're gonna punch you in the face if you leave your your cheek open for them, Chris Halliars. And so in that spirit. Prediction from you. Talk, uh, talk me through your final thoughts on this one. Yeah, th- well, the other thing I think is, y- and you you nailed it. We've seen we've seen everybody in the Texas lineup look good at some point. We've never seen them all look good at the same time, and that's what they're that's what they're looking for this weekend at indoors. Is can they actually get all the guys rolling together? I think it's going to be a battle. I, I will say I did some crack research here, Gruskin. <laughs> Talking to a, one of our Arizona guys, what do we what do we call Hoyerall Gruskin? Double H. You know what his middle name is? He is not Triple H. Don't he you is, dare! You he shut is your Triple H. mouth! No, you're kidding me. I was you are kidding to, me. I talked to him and I said, "Hey, I said I really, I said Gruskin and I just love to call you Double H, but I need to know what the guys on the team actually call you." And he told me, he said, well, my middle name's Hagen. So technically I could be Triple H, but the guys just call me Herm. I was like, no, Triple H is way better. <laughs> I don't know. Herm isn't horrible either. Like, what is this, 1975? Hey, Herm. Um, oh, it's me, Herm. Uh, I play for the Wildcats. Um, that's pretty good. I, that can only be. You, you now By need to way, find out what Hugo Hashimoto's wait, middle no, name is. I'm to glad see if we you have two Triple H's. We're going to do this now, and then we're getting back on track, and we're going to tighten things up, I promise. But 
I was talking to Andres Pedroso today, discussing, obviously, the Virginia Cavaliers. And I go, yeah, you know, Doc Vaughn's look pretty good. And he goes, let me stop you right there. Doc Vaughn? And I go, oh, sorry, Jeffrey. And he goes, I'm sorry, Doc Vaughn? Like, <laughs> why was I not told about this? And I was like, I mean, do you know what he call his brother, Doc Vaughn Sr.? I was like, this isn't a new thing. We've been there. And he goes, I like that. He's like, I could get behind that. And so Doc Vaughn, back, Chris Halioris. Look, I think a Texas win, we know what Texas wins look like. This team is such a familiar core. So, again, I don't think we need to talk through that. I will ask you, last question, then I want prediction here as you answer this question. What does an Arizona win look like, Chris, and who do you ultimately got in this one? I mean, I well, so I'll start. I ultimately have to go with Texas. I mean, they're the three seed for a reason. Uh, I do think they – obviously, they've struggled to get everybody firing at the same time. I, I think an Arizona win – looks like the the guys down low for them just absolutely battling and making those you know to uh, even though it's indoors two and a half hour uh you know singles matches that just grind it's going to be tough for them to i think to get more than probably one of the top three i'd say a win for them looks like doubles one of those top three and two of the bottom three yeah i it's again it's they just fight. They just manage to stick around. And, you know, again, Herman Hoyerall, Triple H, Herm, however you want to name him, his weapons indoors, he's a fighter everywhere. And so you never write him off. The J-Friend bump is real. I'm just excited for this match. I think it's going to be sneaky competitive, sneaky gritty, sneaky fun. Of course, the winner of that one, Chris, faces the winner of what is also a sneaky fun match over at Flushing tomorrow. Michigan taking on Wake Forest. By the way, I said we'd do a tight four minutes. We did a very loose 10 on Texas, Arizona. So, again, we're going to go from over easy to perhaps uh, scrambling these bad boys moving forward. Look, you (laughs) Is it bad that in my head, when I think about this match, I think 2017 round of 32 when Michigan traveled to Wake Forest when it was Miles and Knight and Leo and all the guys and they got smacked uh, by that team in that 2017 season. That's what I think of when I think about the history of this Michigan-Wake Forest matchup. Not a ton there, if we're being honest. Not the way, again, Texas-Arizona have played so frequently of late. But, I mean, look. Two fascinating teams in fascinating spots for the Wake Forest side of things. Feels like every year it's six new pieces for Tony Bresky. Now, that's obviously not the case. Maroney, Tachi, Thompson, all these different guys are back from last year. But Luca Pau now in the equation. DK Suresh now in the equation. Again, this team got a really good win over Columbia. Played Tennessee very tight early in the season. And it's just a group with... You know, Holden Coons, the new addition to bring in a number one singles player from a James Madison where he had a ton of success and now he's playing five. Again, no Adrian Boitan seems to be no problem for this Wake Forest group of late, Chris Halioris. And yet, you know, again, they're playing a group in Michigan that has enough residual pieces left that there is some national, uh, some institutional know-how as they approach this event. Obviously, Gavin, Nino, Cooksey, Bickerstaff, all part of a team that made the semifinals of this event last year. And look, I mean, for these Wolverines, knocked out by Harvard, they didn't have uh, Nino Aaron Schneider. Knocked out by Tennessee, they didn't have Nino Aaron Schneider. Knocked out by TCU, they did have Nino Aaron Schneider. Can't write that one off if you're a Wolverines fan. But TCU's the number two seed 
And when they have had Nino Schneider in the lineup, obviously they got the win over Stanford. For what it's worth, you know, Bickerstaff was up a set. Patorn was up a set in those TCU matches. And those are two guys in particular who have started the season playing so well for the Wolverines. Again, there's a lot of matchups to like up and down the board as you look at this one, Chris Halioris. Which way are you leaning in this and why? I think right now I have to lean Wake because Michigan's shown me nothing in doubles. And that's un-Michigan-like. I just but. want you to know that was my answer to a T. And so we're back. Here early, <laughs> we are in sync, my friend. Continue. Yeah, I mean, they even, they, you know, we they mixed things up. There's the, that match against TCU. There was no Gavin Aaron Schneider pairing. They're, you know, they're trying anything and everything to find something in doubles. And, you know, and obviously they haven't yet. So you just can't afford to come in against top 10 teams uh, at indoors and think that you're not going to get the doubles point and, and come out and win those matches. So you have to lean wake, but up and down, every one of these singles matches could be tremendous. There is no, to me, there's no given on either side in any of these matches. So that's exactly why Wake Forest is the favorite, because they're favored in one point. It's doubles. Michigan has been very bad in doubles. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They are not good at it right now. At any of the positions, they try to mix things up. It doesn't work. They try to go back to Gavin and Nino. It doesn't really work. Like, they're just searching, searching for answers right now. And guess what? Like, again, when you lose the institutional know-how of an Andrew Fenty, who could be put with me and you, and he ultimately ended up All-American half of his seasons, Chris, like Maloney, Styler, the energy, intensity they brought, I, I think that's where you missed Adam Steinberg and his coaching philosophy, more so maybe than his coaching X's and O's, just that philosophy of energy, intensity from the start. How many times did Michigan take a doubles point during the Steiny era just because they had that component in spades when their opponent is not? More than a handful is the answer to that question, but that's not there for them right now. And I'm sorry, but as a default modem, if I'm making predictions at this event, which I'm not because I'm going to be at the pr- making calls for all of them, but Chris Halioris is. Give me the team that's that has a clear one-point advantage in every matchup we talk about this week. That's been my biggest takeaway, Chris, is it's not this year about the locks and being like, oh, we're up 1-0 here for sure. We're up 2-0 with this and this. I just don't know if that's going to exist anywhere with the parity we have. The key is don't be down 1-0. Don't have a sieve in your lineup. And again, we got three months for Michigan to figure out where doubles, where they want it to be, I suppose, come May. But right now, it just feels like this Wake Forest team is a little bit more cohesive across the board. And again, Wake Forest wins over South Carolina, Columbia, uh, Illinois, Florida so far. They've also played Tennessee as well. That's a real resume. This team's been calloused. They've been tested. Again, this Michigan crew knows their stuff as well. But Chris Elias, your prediction, who's the clinch? What I Actually, I guess flip side is what does the Michigan win looks like? Because we have been beating down on the Michigan barrel right now, and it's not because I'm afraid of all the YouTube comments. Oh, Alex is biased. Here comes biased rackets again. Like, First of all, that's just fuel to the fire, my friend. When you try to diss me like that, you know that is just heroin to my veins. Like, inject it immediately. I'm going to double down on all of it. 
What does a Michigan win look like? Is there genuine belief here, or would you pick them simply because your nephew's the assistant? No, I think there's genuine belief. Look, this is a team that went and lost the doubles point at Tennessee and was in a three-all match in a third set, uh, you know, on, on court one. They they can absolutely, even without winning the doubles point, they could win this match. It's just that you can't, you know, you can you can root all you want, but if you're pick if you're playing the odds, you said it perfectly. You're leaning that yeah, Wake's gonna Wake has got the better doubles to this point. You've got to think they take the doubles point, and all of the singles matchups to me are virtual toss ups. I think a Michigan win. I don't even think they you know I w- doubles would be a huge bonus. I think a, a win for them could come anywhere, but I will say that it that. Patorn has looked great, probably needs to win. Gavin, he had a big win over Domenko. He needs to win. That's a one spot that he hasn't had a great year so far, but that's a spot that he ought to be able to win up there. Bickersteth has looked very good. I say those three guys must win if they're going to pull this off, and then they find one more. I don't know if Nino's healthy enough yet to do it. You know, he, he played great at Tennessee, but... Uh, and, and dubs, I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, I just, I don't know if the hell's there. Cooksey obviously hasn't been Steiglander, maybe at six. I don't know where that fourth comes from. If they need four in singles, it's gotta be the other three though. Yeah. Uh, again, I do also think we're, Gavin Young hasn't had the big spring match yet. He was almost there. Had he pulled off the win over Joe Monday, maybe you win that match and then you lose your next seven because you sold all of your karma, but he didn't pull over the finish line there. And I think he's still acclimating to the match-in, match-out rigors of playing in that top spot uh, for a team like Michigan. And so maybe this is where it clicks. Maybe things go well for him indoors, ideal conditions, his serve, his weapons, always difficult to deal with. That's going to be a really fun match. Again, speaks to the parity we have in the draw. Michigan, Wake Forest, Chris taking Wake Forest to advance. Got. If it's a Texas-Wake quarterfinal and a Michigan-Arizona backdraw match, Chris Halioris, what's more interesting as we yeah, move the, forward the, towards the rest of the year? Well, again, you said it. This is the probably the most intriguing quarter because all the matchups are going to be good first and second round no matter what. Let me ask you this. Is Arizona-Michigan, if a consolation match, a winner go home for top 16 status? Mm, no, I don't I don't yeah, think so. Early, they both have right? opportunities yeah, coming. Yeah, fair enough. I will say, again, Big Ten, though, if you're Michigan, they still have a lot of really good non-conference matches. But, you know, again, you got to rack up some points here this weekend as you're not going to get as many points in your conference as some of your uh, peers will throughout the course of their regular season. That said, speaking in that ill, Chris Halioris, it is a massive, massive, massive weekend for the Ivy League to have two teams at this National Indoor Championship, Columbia, Harvard. Harvard hasn't been here in quite some time, Chris Halioris. And look, obviously, with the team they have, Jachuk, Malovsky, Vonder Schulenberg. You add in, obviously, the sensational new piece, blue chip freshman Cooper Williams, Melacor uh, Deloy, excuse me, at that five side, Masato Pereira, and all the options they have. There are blue chips, five stars, 13 and a half to 14 UTRs, three world tennis numbers, whatever metric you want to use to measure things. Harvard's got all of it. I still don't know if they're the most talented roster in the Ivy League, as obviously on the other side of the equation, it's a Columbia squad that we said from the start. They have 
real top five depth. Not like, oh, it's it's cute for Ivy League depth. Like, oh, this team it might beat someone and make a sweet 16. It's like, no, 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 no. This Columbia team could beat anyone. As proven by the fact that they just beat Tennessee last weekend here in Columbia. The fact that this Columbia team gets to be what none of the other 15 teams in the draw get to be, Chris Helioris. They get to play at home over the course of their three to four matches. And, I mean, look, there's no secrets, obviously, between these two squads. They're conference rivals. Other than Max Fliegner's Dartmouth season where they won the conference title. Shout out to Crack Rack. It's a title for us. It's Columbia versus Harvard and and the Tony Bruschi Cornell year. Outside of those two years, Chris Hallioris, it has been a Columbia-Harvard dichotomy at the top of the Ivy League. Ugh. This match is so delicious. It's so delightful, Chris Hallioris. What is your first inclination as you look at it? What's your read? My first inclination is is just, well, it's two things. I have to lean Columbia for two big reasons. One, they looked so good against Tennessee at home where they will be playing this match. Uh, I mean, they just, it's it's a great venue for them. They're going to obviously have have the crowd there. And two, Harvard, they're another school, I think, <clears throat> they're not obviously on paper as talented as Texas, but to me, they've sort of had the same sort of thing going on where I see all the talent on paper, I just haven't seen it all come together at the same time yet. Um, and and I were they, you know, they dropped the match at Kentucky, they go 4-3 at Louisville this weekend on their on their trip here to Kentucky. And it's if if you're a you know, if you're a top eight team uh, like they are in, in the rankings, you, you should not be losing at Kentucky and going 4-3 at Louisville. You should look better than that. And they just they haven't seemed to put it together. So but they absolutely have the talent. And and these teams, again, they know each other well. It's going to be, you know, there's a lot of familiarity. It'll be interesting. But Columbia's definitely got the home court advantage. And coming off that big win there against Tennessee, I think you got to be leaning that way. It's, I mean, again, what did I say earlier? The theme is no holes in the lineup. And I don't know if they're holes, but they're questions for Harvard right now at the five and six spots. I think Deloy's the guy at five. It's just a matter of health for him, match in, match out. But, you know, who is that number six guy for certain? Is it a Masato Pereira? Is it, you know, an Allen? Is it just another different option in that Harvard doubles lineup for them? Uh, Harvard singles lineup, excuse me, for them. On the Columbia side, I feel like I know the pieces. Like, I know we're getting Zhang at one. I know we're getting Kotzen at two. I know Nick Kotzen has come on really strong here in his sophomore season as well. To quote my younger brother, he goes, there's only one set of brothers uh, set of brothers I'm in on other than the Gruskins. And he said, that's the Kotzens right now. That's a Nick Gruskin joke for you. Uh, and yes, a direct shot at the Braswells. Micah, Jonah, if you see Nick on site here this weekend, because there will be a Nick Gruskin appearance. No Chris Hallioris, but we will have Nicholas Gruskin here in New York. York this weekend. Shout out to the first coach. I just, if you're listening to this podcast and you're here and you are a coach and you see a furry eyebrow in the crowd, just yell at him, hey, you're Nick Ruskin, right? And the answer will most likely be yes. And I just want him to have that experience, please. Just say, your brother told me to say hello because, uh, Again, he'll just smile and laugh and be a little bit embarrassed. He's very handsome. He's also much tanner than I am. He got the double dose of Svardik to my Ashkenazi. There's some Jewish talk for you, Chris Helioris. But 
all of that is to say talking about Colombia. Um, like, I know Hashimoto. I know Winnegar. I know Westfall. I know these faces. And it just feels like finally, for the first time in three years, Colombia has been able to play everyone consecutively without having to stop because of COVID, without having to stop because their rankings was so screwed up that they're just sent to these places they had no business being. At the same time, you can say all of that about Harvard as well. And that's, to me, what makes this match maybe not the best match, but the most significant match for each of these teams. This is the table setter. This is the one these teams want to win, both of them desperately, to say, hey, we're the top eight squad this year. Like, top eight Ivy League spot, which it feels like there might legitimately be one for this year, runs through this tone-setting match. Now, Harvard's going to come back to Columbia later in the regular season for part two. And, you know, again, if they lose this one, clear your schedule for that one because that becomes must-win stuff for the Crimson. I I just do, I again, I think there's some desperation, though, for them here. I wonder if Columbia gets a little bit nervous playing this national indoor match at home in front of the crowd with the stakes on the line. And, you know, I wonder if those nerves allow Harvard maybe to play a little bit more freely, just like, yeah, we're on the road, though. We're playing loose. We've taken some losses already this year. Like, let's just go beat our rival and worry about it as that sort of match, not a us at home opening up the Milstein Tennis Center sort of affair. It's going to be really good, Chris Hellier's Final thoughts on this one and prediction belong to you. Yeah, at the, at the same time you say that about Columbia, I think the same about freshman Cooper Williams. What's that going to uh, be like for him in the first Williams versus Zhang. Versus Zhang. Lock yeah. it in. That's that's just going to be a great match. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but for all of the reasons I mentioned, I, I definitely have to to lean Columbia. And I, I think a 4-2, 4-3 type match uh, yeah. for Columbia. All right. I like to hear it. Well, again, that's the prediction from Chris Halioris, obviously. Uh, certainly, we will talk more about that one after it unfolds Friday night. In fact, Chris Halioris, that'll be the, the match we go straight from watching that one finish to recording the podcast. So certainly, we have it circled on our list. That said, we also have five more round of 16 matches to go. These will all be four minutes or less, Chris Helios. That's my promise to you because, of course, you've got to get out of here in the next half hour. Let's start with maybe the best college football playoff matchup we could have hoped for here in the round of 16. Uh, obviously, that's Ohio State versus Alabama, a matchup that, again, if it was Saban versus Ryan Day, like we'd all be clearing our schedules for that one. You know, it's not DeBoer versus Day either. In this instance, it's Tucker versus Husek. And for what it's worth, Chris, or FWIW, as the kids might say, keep in mind, George Husek was an assistant coach at some USC teams that have some real history, that had some real results against the Ohio State Buckeyes. So it's not as though Coach Husek has never coached to success against Ohio State. Here's the thing, though. Chris Hellyors, as well as Alabama's win over Kentucky has aged, as well as they have played to start this season. Let's be clear, after losing their first two, Alabama has won seven in a row. Playing the Buckeyes in your first national indoors as a group is running into the machine. And we both know this, Chris Hellyors, because we've been around this sport long enough. When the Buckeyes beat you, they don't just win 4-0. They you in every sense of the word, like you doubt your mother, you doubt your father, you doubt your sister, you just have doubts about everything moving forward because 
they are the definition of well-oiled machine. Like when they get you down, there's no layup. There's no, oh, I think Tracy's going to go clinch over on three, so I'm going to let my set get away. Or, oh, you know, I see Cash is at 6-1-4-2, so maybe I'm going to play a little bit slower here. No, if they see that, the competition's on because you don't win. You're back out on the practice court a few hours later. Like, again, they are the litmus test of are you great in college tennis is Bama ready for that challenge? Chris Helios, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, uh, absolutely not. Uh, I mean, look, there, there, there's only one person here that got screwed more than Alabama, and that's you. Because <laughs> the schedulers put Harvard-Columbia last. <laughs> As opposed that, to this being the cleanup crew? Th- that should have been the 3.30 <laughs> match. This comes on at 6.30. You're out the door at 8. I mean... Uh-huh. It, yeah, I we're recording from the hotel room early. Yeah, this is, I mean, look, <laughs> th- this is no disrespect to Alabama whatsoever. Kind of is. Kind of well, is. I, but I don't care. I'd say the yeah. same thing if it was It's Michigan not disrespect to now. Alabama. It's respect to Ohio State. Exactly. I don't know yeah. if, if, you know, people want to say I'm, I'm doing that to them. My own, you know, if my own guys, my nephew at Michigan was playing Ohio State, I'd be indoors. I'd be saying the same damn thing. This match is going to be fast when Ohio State and the way they're playing right now comes in. You said it. They dismantle you. Even even with what they did with South Carolina, they dropped the doubles point to South Carolina. It doesn't matter. Four quick first set, four quick straight set matches. Boom, it's done. They played it out, but they're and they're not going to play anything out here. I mean, and that's the shame for some of these schools is even if they manage to get one or two matches going and they can grab a set or two or at least be tight, it's not going to matter because four of them are going to end in straight sets quick and the match is done or three after, if they, once they take doubles. Uh, so, yeah, it's a it's just a super tough whoever whoever got Ohio State in the first match was was just in in for a world of hurt and that's all, in all likelihood what's coming here i think a much more uh intriguing match for alabama in day two when they get the loser of the harvard columbia match fair i will say i spoke with george husek i was around this alabama team and go listen to the interview so i'm not saying anything out of pocket here he said look the first 15 minutes of our practice at this national indoors we were head in the clouds lights looking at the stars like we were a little bit out of our uh bill you know a little bit too big for our britches here in these first 15 minutes of practice but then you could see the guys be like wait we gotta lock in like this is just a normal routine this is just a normal practice it's just another event on the schedule hopefully they get to that come-to-Jesus moment before the start of the match. Because, again, if you have stars in your eyes, when you start the match against the Buckeyes, they will f- Like, I just don't have a better word to use, Chris. That's what I think the F-bomb was made for. It's just like, that's what Ohio State does to teams who aren't ready. How many times have we seen them... When they win 4-0, it's an hour 15. Like, they don't, like, oh, it was this drawn-out 4-0. It was really close there. I will say this, though. Alabama's top three is very, very good. Very, very good. And look again, like Cannon hasn't lost yet, but like he's been pushed to three sets. The problem is like, okay, let's say there's a hypothetical world where Cannon loses. Let's say there's a hypothetical world where Boulay and Tracy lose as well. I'm not betting on this hypothetical because that doesn't happen very often. But then they still probably have to find one more at four, five, or six. 
And that's where the concern hops in, right? Because Ohio State, again, like, you're not getting four singles wins on them. And I just don't, again, if Alabama can find the doubles point here, a point they haven't been the greatest at over the last half decade, maybe, but you feel like that path is so narrow. Doubles, one, two, three. And so, I mean, again, I don't make a prediction. There's a reason Ohio State is number one. Chris, are you going to go straight 4-0 here? What do you, final thought? Absolutely. So even if Alabama can get a couple good matches in, the problem is Ohio State's just too good in doubles and they're going to get three straight set wins. I don't see Alabama being able to pull off a straight set win faster than Ohio State manages to get three of their own. Uh, I would think it would be a it'd be a huge plus for Bama here if they can if they can manage to get a point on the board. I don't see it happening. All right, fair enough. So there it is. Ohio State 4-0, the prediction according to Chris Halioris. Let's go to a matchup we've seen now for a fourth time since the start of the 2023 season. It's UVA versus Duke, another all-conference matchup here in round number one. I will point out to listeners, I saw Nyaki Montez in action today in practice, was a full participant, except for the fact that he was hitting underhand serves, Chris Halliors, and I don't think he's ready to hit the overhand serve quite yet. I think he will be very hit and miss. Like, it'll be a very spot-and-go sort of situation for Inyaki Montez. Maybe if they're feeling desperate, maybe if it's the Buckeyes in the semifinals, then maybe, maybe we see Inyaki, but I don't think that's very likely. I will also say, I saw Dietrich in person today. He might be 6'5". Like, he is even taller than you would expect. And the best part, what did we say when we first saw him play Chris Halioris? Why were we excited about him? Because he bleached his hair blonde. That's just a personality I can get in on here in the college tennis world early. And let the record show, I'm talking with Coach Pedroso. We're talking about Dietrich. He goes, by the way, not a natural blonde. And I go, I know, right? Like, (laughs) this is something to notice. He's got that little extra chutzpah. I will say, it does feel like, Chris, if this Duke team is ever going to f- beat Virginia, this is the time to do it because Virginia is limping in to this national indoors. Now, they haven't had a lot of Rodesh this year. They haven't had a lot of Montez this year either. And it's very clear we have not seen the best version of the Who's yet. It's also safe to say this Duke team has done just about everything. They've touched them all. They've hit for the cycle in this 2024 season. You know, as good as they were over Kentucky, they were that bad against Northwestern earlier this year. And, you know, again, they've seen Illinois and NC States of the world. They've seen a lot. They've done a lot. And it's a now or never time for this group with Pedro Rodin, uh, excuse me, with Garrett Johns, Andrew Zhang, Heller, Dale, all these older players on their roster. The Krugs are now upperclassmen. Rodinas is a sophomore. Again, it's a very talented Duke squad. A Duke squad that knows Virginia better than any other team in the country. Do they have the chops to pull it off, Chris? What's your lean on this one? I mean, they might. They've been Jekyll and Hyde, to, to your point. And I saw in the Kentucky match... I literally saw one potential path to victory for them, and that was doubles one, two, three. They just couldn't, with what they're putting out at four, five, six, they weren't going to be able, in all likelihood, to be able to compete with the four, five, six that's been that good for Kentucky. I moved to this match. I can't even say that. I think, you know, you look at, I'm going to assume Inyaki's not playing, which means, again, you've got, you know, 
Rodesh, Dietrich, and and von der Schulenberg in the top three spots. They're not, I'll say this, they're not going to win the match by winning doubles one, two, three, like they had to against Kentucky. I think where they're going to need to come up big, and we're just going to see if those guys can step up as the bottom guys are going to have to be able to play Grazian or Kiefer, Hopper, Dahlberg, whoever those bottom three are, that's where they're going to have to get it. Sure, can Rodinus beat, you know, I, I don't even know if I didn't look to see they played him at one against Kentucky. I assume they're leaving it that way, and they've got Rodinus Johns. But can Rodinus beat Rodesh? Can Johns probably should be thinking he can beat Dietrich, but they're not going to get all three of those top spots. I think they're going to need to make it at the bottom. But yeah, if they're if they're the good version of Duke that we've seen, they can absolutely pull it off. Yeah, it's. I just feel like this has to be the one, right? Like, this team came back for this match more than anything. And look, they're going to get to play it again later this year when they play Virginia in the regular season. Maybe even get to play it again when you play Virginia in the ACC tournament, should that be the case. Although, certainly a stronger wake makes it that much more difficult to just project Duke sure thing into the ACC tournament final the way you might be more willing to do with a Virginia team that hasn't lost an ACC match in three-plus years. If Duke, again, I'm just going to reiterate the point. If Duke is ever going to beat this Virginia team, if Johns, Zhang, Heller, these seniors are ever going to get a win over the Hoos, it's right here and right now. Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern at the Columbia, beautiful Milstein Tennis Center. In that spirit, Chris Hallioris, what's it look like for you? Give me your prediction. Because I do think this is a really good match everywhere. It it is. This is one where if you if you know this is the you know the basketball five twelve where you got to pick one of them. If I was having to pick one of them, this might be the one I picked because they just do it in such a lopsided uh, you know four thirteen seed wise match. Virginia's got chances or, or Duke's got chances everywhere against Virginia with no Montez in that lineup. You know, I'd say if Montez is in there and you got Vonder Schulenberg at four, that's a 100% lock point there. You know, it's it's done. But now it's the top three. And look, Duke's got a top three. Their top three can battle the top three. Neither team has been, you know, overly impressive at four, five, six. So it's matches everywhere. I still don't know how you get away from from giving the edge to Virginia. They're a four seed for a reason. I've I've got to stick with with the edge there. I don't know that I love the doubles for Virginia. I mean, it's I I think they could they could be beat. Uh, you know, we got Graziani and, and Hopper play, still playing together. Rodesh von der Schulenberg. I'm not sure what that you know. Not a lot of matches. Uh, Kiefer and and. Dietrich have played three matches together. Um, I, mm, that it's just it's just every match I think could go either way. I will not be surprised at all if, and it doesn't even have to be a four three match. I won't be shocked if you know Duke wins this, and just because it's, you're playing clinch, it could be any score. Right? It could be four one. It could be four two. I'm still sticking with Virginia. They've got to get going at some point, even without Montez. But I will say. If Montez doesn't play the entire weekend for Virginia, I'm starting to have serious doubts, even about May at this point. I mean, I think he'll be healthy, but the if you can't even make it for indoors at this point, it's, there, it's obviously something very serious. My counter to you, death taxes Virginia 500 after six-plus matches, as you know. Those are the guarantees in life as a college tennis fan. Every point you made is valid. 
And I do want to go back quickly, Chris. We're going to rapid fire through. Who is the doubles point more comfortable, uh, more important to? I just want straight names for you. Texas, Arizona. Arizona. I disagree. I think Texas, because if Arizona goes up 1-0, they are feisty. Like, that is an outright disaster. Like, Texas is now on your back heels once again. I agree they have the talent there, but I'm just saying, I think symbolically, that's a huge point for Texas mentally to get things started. Michigan Wake. I mean, it has to be Michigan. I I don't even have a counter. It's more important, but they're probably already writing it off. I don't even have a counter. Columbia, Harvard. Uh, Harvard. I agree. Ohio State, Alabama. Uh, we don't have to ask that one. Yeah. Uh, UVA, Duke. Who's doubles more important for? Well, I think it's more important for Duke. They're the team trying to pull the upset off. Uh, and I think, but I don't think it's as important as people might might think, right? I, yeah. I legit think they could win this match with four singles matches. 100%. Uh, I so, think it's just as important for Virginia. Like, yeah, you just that's can't I, go down 1-0 again and just right. like, mentally keep doing this to yourself. Where Especially like, if there's to- no Montez and they know they don't have him in singles and they're starting out in the whole 1-0 yeah, it's. I mean, it's. I think it's going to be more critical for Duke just to feel like they can do it. But, uh, but I think they can win even without it. Yeah. Again, it, it feels very fifty-fifty-ish in terms of significance of that doubles point. All right, last three here, Chris. Tennessee, USC. This one we're blitzing through because, with all due respect to the USC Trojans, and you know, again. I try not to be biased towards anyone. I certainly get accused of USC bias because Brett Macy is our guy. We've been very clear about that. Maybe this will help dissipate that perceived bias. If they get a point tomorrow, isn't that the win? Like, no Dostanich. This team limps through a trip to Oklahoma State and Baylor where they take two the 4-2 lost Oklahoma State, not as significant, but that Baylor match was never a match. Baylor humbled them real quick. Now, I do want to point out, head coach Brett Macy said today's practice was the sort of practice you have as a team when you just lost two horrible matches the weekend before. The sort of practice that says, hey, flame is backlit under the boys who understand the jeopardy we're in without our senior leader, Steph, on the court with us here this weekend. Here's the thing, though, Chris. They run to a Tennessee team that has been sneaky as impressive as anyone relative to preseason expectations. Dare I say, no Olek, no problem for this Tennessee team. They were supposed to have another superstar freshman on the roster, and yet between Pajunka, Apple Tower, obviously the returners Monday, Mitsui, Diaz, you had Lalami into the mix, Chris Lee ready to contribute more. It's all Tennessee all the way, right? What do you want to see from the Vols here? Do 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 you still hold out any hope for the Trojans? No, I I mean, <laughs> I do want to see if if Waitman's ready to go in singles. I mean, we know Steph's not playing. Is is, is Waitman? I don't know, but uh, he's played doubles. Hasn't really. I think he played the very first match, and that's it. Since then, he has. I don't think he's been seen. Um, but no, we, you know, no Steph is just going to be too too much to ask for these guys, uh, especially down low. I mean. Look, Mock, uh, you know, Westrate, they're going to manage to and and even 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 Ayakabenko, the freshman, you know, and indoors, I would I, we haven't seen him indoors. I would expect that he uh, he could play. He's a big guy, hits the ball hard. I would expect he might be good indoors. But when you get down to have to, to the bottom of the lineup and it's and it's now, you know, uh, Lee, Rebel, Valabaneni, it's just a it's not the caliber of the Tennessee team. And I just don't, I don't see any way they don't get blitzed again. It's going to be a tough one. 
It's, I mean, again, Tennessee, the most impressive part is how, how real their depth has felt right away, right? With, uh, again, Monday, Mitsui Pajonka, Apple Tower, Diaz, and Lalami. Like, you feel like you have six real guys who can all win on any given day at the positions they're all playing. Now, I didn't uh, present their order correctly. It's also worth noting this Tennessee team's been really good at the indoors over the past few years. What, finalists in 2022, semifinalists in 2021, but if you were at that eight-person event, you know Tennessee was very clearly the third-best team after UNC Baylor at that event, and they were the breakout performer stars, dare I say, of that tournament. Remember when Adam Walton beat Will Blumberg, won a a six-love in that opening set, and we were like— are we going to die today? We were like, we just had a, na- a global pandemic, and now Will Blumberg's losing 6-0 sets? Like, we need some chaos. Uh, excuse me, some stability back in the world. Prediction on this one. You're taking the Vols shutout? Yeah, I'll take the Vols, and yeah, I think it's probably going to be a 4-0. All right, I like to hear it. Well, then last two, final quarter of the draw. Again, shout-out to Arizona State. Making this national indoors, it's a massive moment for Matt Hill and his squad. And look, top two, you might take uh, Murphy Cassone, Bor Artnock, the freshman, as Arizona State's top two. You might take that over your own top two, regardless of who you're a fan of. Kingsley, Boulay, Fernley, JPJ, like... Well, we're about to Rodash find out with those two. That's what I'm saying. Like, again, you, oh, yeah, you like that? That was unintentional. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love that. That was yeah. complete, That shows you where my brain is mush that I wasn't even trying to be smart. Sometimes I just am. Chris Halioris. The problem is after that. Like, <laughs> Well, they're good. Three, even three. McKinnon's been great down yeah. to three. Can I tell a joke, though? Good pro results. Yeah, go for it. Okay. And I don't mean this seriously. And I cannot emphasize this enough. If you see me in person – Come up to me and say, that's You shouldn't make that joke at my expense. But guess what? I'm going to make it at your expense anyways. If he's your number four singles player, you're Roy Gannot winning. Like, it's just that simple, Chris Alioris. Like, I just, I don't know how else to say it. Um, okay, come on. That's not true, but just like, that's a good joke, right? I thought yeah. of it earlier today, and I was like, I might have to use that. Yeah, except he's like their seventh or eighth yeah. now. But- also, I'm sure he's a really nice kid. Just a perfect last name for me to make that joke. Yeah, Your yeah, thoughts yeah, on this it, one? It, it, it is. They're, you know, they, yeah. they're solid three, and then it's just – but what makes it fun is because of how good those three can be and they can play doubles, they could sure. legit pose a threat to anybody, and then they could also just get wiped out. They I mean, they basically have to perform up top, and so they could get whitewashed. But you, Are we you talking 2019 UCLA stuff like Cressy, Smith, Nanda, one and a half, uh, half a doubles point? Like, are we talking that three and a half ish? Well, it's no, I mean, it's not, it's not that, that good, but it yeah. is like a, yeah, we, we could legit take three points and, and doubles, doubles against anybody and, and sneak a match out. And that, that's what makes it intriguing is there's no chance you're going to pick them to win. But they can do it on any given day. And we know Murph, how good Murphy Kassan can be. We've seen what Bohr Artnock's been doing. Uh, and even Max McKinnon on, uh, you know, beating guys like Keegan Smith and challengers. I mean, they they have been very, very good. And if they can get anything from the guys down in the bottom, if, it, if Jacob Bullard steps up and does something for them, you know, things can start to get interesting. But even with the top three in dubs, they're in a match, you know, uh, for a while, uh, but TCU is just too good. But yeah, I, that's to me, that's what we're watching here is 
is is the Casson Artnock top two? As you know, are you going to take them over the Fernley JPJ top two? Yeah, very fair. You know what I want to see? I want to see a win for Jirasek at six. I want to see a win for Maxted at five, and then. He just hasn't gotten going yet. He just dropped the set uh, to Patorn. I want to see the chosen one, Sebastian Gorsny, with a win at four. I don't know how much longer I can get away calling him the chosen one, Chris, if, you know, again, he's going to take a loss at the number four position here his sophomore se- uh, his sophomore season. Now, again, we got a lot of depth in college tennis. And by the way, I'm still con- – this might be a lie. Like, we've been going on this Ponzi scheme for 14 months. I'm just convinced I saw a tweet – from TCU calling him the chosen one. I don't know if it actually happened or not, but, um, <laughs> you know, again, I just really like the nickname and no one's ever pushed back, so we're still going to keep calling him the chosen one. But, like, if TCU is as good as advertised, shouldn't they go out and win this match doubles four, five, six? Like, that pathway is there, so this one is still intriguing. I am still looking for it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's intriguing for sure just because of the pieces that Arizona State has that are good, but there's just... I mean, in no world should TCU lose at four, five, or six, which means, you know, if if that's the case, they got to find one point in one of the others, and and that's pretty much the Arizona State path. If Arizona State wants to pull this upset off, they got to win doubles one, two, three. I mean, it's and that would be a huge upset for them to do that, uh, and it's probably the only legitimate path I can see. All right, fair enough. So you're taking TCU four zero. Yeah, I think they'll just get they'll get them quick enough. I mean, it'll it'll probably be 4-0. Fernley Cassone, sneaky, excellent match. By the way, so is JPJ Artnock. Like, those are really good matches up top, ones to look forward to. Last but not least, South Carolina versus AM, the huh? Match of this opening round of 16. I believe, Chris Hallis, you can correct my sound effect if you disagree. Um, but you haven't, so I'm gonna say you do agree. It's Huh? Because when I think about South Carolina, Chris, I think, huh, huh, I don't know. Like last night, okay, I shouldn't share this story, but I'm going to anyways. My older brother, love him to death. In fact, there's only one person in the world whose opinion about me I care about, and it's Eric Gruskins. I don't care what the rest of you think. You all know that. But Eric, I do care about. Last night, I introduced him to the fact that my family, my dad, mom they got hulu they got you know like the new bundle thing they're trying to package to get us all to buy it to buy them all as opposed to keep going one by one yeah, by one. Yeah, Chris yeah. so my dad is literally their target client and he fell for it so we have the bundled package now shout out to michael gruskin i introduced it to my brother last night in his apartment because he lives here in new york and i got to see him and i introduced him to it and he goes his favorite movie. He has one weak spot in life. It's the dumbest movie in the world. It's Godzilla vs. Kong, which is just like literally as dumb as you think. Like CGI, massive Kong versus the massive Godzilla. There's just these two massive beats. And he goes, huh, I wonder if they have Godzilla Kong. And he goes, they do? <laughs> and I just, I've never heard him that excited. Like, I've known the man for 28 years. Never that excited. It was genuine, pure, like, the way we feel about this tennis coming up. Like, just purest in its heart excitement. 
I think that's how I feel about this match. It's like the, they do? Like, huh? And because these are fascinating teams. I have been beating the A&M is underrated drum for, what, three years now? Chris or something like that, because I just continue to be compelled by the smorgasbord of pieces they have. South Carolina, they have a win in Charlottesville? They do? They do! Chris Alioris, guess what else they have? Losses to, to Wake and Ohio State. Again, they're the ultimate they do team. Like, this shows you my brain is broken. We're ready to wrap this pod. So final thoughts on our final round of 16 match. A fascinating one. Belonged to the original SEC correspondent, Chris Helioris. Yeah, th- I mean, it's a great one. Look, we've we've seen plenty of South Carolina. We know there's no Thompson. We know it's going to... that. They can step up and beat a team like Virginia, but they can also play to what you would expect out of a team with no Connor Thompson and an injured story. The The story to me here is Texas A&M. You talked about it. Are underrated? I mean, should, they haven't lost a match, and you think, oh, they haven't played anybody. Well, you know, UCLA is not a bad team. They got a 4-3 win over them. Kickoff weekend, they beat Auburn. They beat Georgia. They blanked SMU 7-0, who's, you know, you're and 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 whoever beats FIDAC, I, I beat them like 0-1 or something like that. Uh I mean, they have they've had a very good early season. So I think that's that's the intrigue. It was Perot that beat them. That's the intriguing yeah. part is are they gonna be, you know, that surprise, like, holy cow, I actually think that this is gonna be just a, a very good match. And I have to actually lean AM in this one. Wait. You do? <laughs> Chris, you can't bury this 73 minutes in. Oh. I, I don't know how to get get around it. I mean, okay. they, they, they South Carolina's kind of, you know, they're still struggling. The doubles still, I mean, yeah, South Carolina went in. That's the that was the head scratcher to me. They haven't been great in doubles with no Thompson. They go into Ohio State and they take doubles at Ohio State. South Carolina, traditionally a very good doubles team with the guys they've had there. But I don't know. After that, they've got a bunch of young guys uh, uh, on the team that they're playing. And I just don't know. I, I don't know if they're, if they're you know, if they're going to be, uh, be able to hold that level. I kind of like this underrated A&M team. That's the take we were looking for. All podcast long. I was waiting for some sort of upset to sneak in, and Chris Halliorce, you saved it's me one right The only one I'm picking, and, I've, and I'm just waiting for the, you know, the Parego Instagram poking at me, but, you know, well, I'm ready for it. Well, why would it be poking at you? You picked it correctly. If anything, yeah, well, it'll yeah, be— he's not- Oh, it'll be South Carolina who pokes or at you, right? Or not in Perego. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, Story. Both go, Both of those guys like to poke us. It'll be Story poking at me. Yeah, yeah or Connor they, Thompson. they win. Yeah, Connor Thompson's going to hit you with both crutches. That's what yeah. he's going to do. Yeah, just a free swing across the face. Yeah, look, last year South Carolina had some momentum coming in. They lost a weird one, right, to Georgia right away, if my memory serves me correct. Yep. Or maybe they played North. Yeah, it was. they played yeah. the Georgia match, yeah, right? Was, and that was, was the one Georgia. that got yep. real weird right away. So we've seen South Carolina do that. I think this match has four three. Again, this is the yeah. This is a th- yeah. yeah. This is the yeah. Exactly. That's a this, great characterization of this it, match. Thank you. I you know again every so often I like to come up with sound effects. It's I'm not just again. I'm not just Roy Gannat gonna do it. 
Like, I got to come up with something good uh, for you here to end this show. And so with that said, Chris Hallioris, I know you have to roll. Any final thoughts on day one? Any final broadcast thoughts? I can guarantee our listeners you're going to be joining me every night, right? Because this is literally my favorite pod is doing this with you Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Absolutely. You know we're on for that. That's all I can ask for. And obviously, again, all I can ask for the tireless effort of our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out to him. A shout out to all of you fans who, again, will tune in throughout the course of the weekend. Let us know what you think, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Crack Rackets. Coverage starts Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern time. Myself and, of course, Mike Cation steering the ship all weekend long. We hope you join us. But for now, signing off for the fantastic Chris Helios, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all 9 a.m. tomorrow for the round of 16. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.